Good morning and welcome to the Liz Calloway Show with Nick Summers on this Thursday morning, April 21st. It's time. Now, it's the Columbia Check-In with Lieutenant Governor Pamela Evett on the Liz Calloway Show with Nick Summers on Talk 94.5. Good morning, Lieutenant Governor. Good morning. Did you have a have a happy Easter? Yes, yes. We had beautiful weather here, beautiful sunrise for Easter. Uh, where were you for Easter? So we uh, took Jackson and went down to visit some friends in Florida so he could do a little fishing with David. We were gone during his spring break. So when you're 15 and your parents <laughs> are gone working over your spring break and you have to sit home for a week, we felt like we needed to give him a few days. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's nice of you, Mom. <laughs> Well, that's the good. mom thing. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, that's good. And, um, you know, we were talking with uh, State Representative Russell Fry the other day about all these different um, bills that made it over the crossover date and the status of all of that. Anything um, interesting that has come uh, across the governor's desk just, you know, over the past week or so? We did hear that he did sign the Convention of States um, resolution. People are saying it's a bill that was signed into law, but I I think it was more of a resolution, wasn't it? It is. It's a resolution. And I guess there's two there's two kinds of resolutions. One that can just be passed through the legislative body and then one that has to be signed by the governor. But it is just a resolution. It's not a law. And um, and I loved his opinion on it, where he basically talked about what we talked about. You know, the best thing to do is to vote in good people, but that the federal government has left us with no choice but to have to try to stop them in the means that our founding fathers gave to us because it has gotten so bad. Um, so, you know, he did follow his, um, you know, just the way the governor does, a very legally thought out opinion and came out with that letter as he signed it to say, like, listen, I, I, I wish we could do this another way, but they put us to, pushed us to this point. They have to, you know, take drastic measures. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Has there been... Um... Any calls to your office uh, one way or another that, you know, you want to share? Because there's just, there is that we, we had a lot of people chiming in. They're dead set against us, uh, you know, dead set against the Convention of States. And uh, other people are, are for it. They're looking forward to it. They don't know if it's going to really go anywhere, um, you know, if the amendments will ever get passed anyway. But yeah. uh, do you think it's an important conversation to be had? I do think we need to sit down and talk about it. I think we need, like we talked about last week, we need to sit down and talk about a lot more than we do in a very civil way. And and I like you, it was about 50-50 for me. I was getting a lot of calls. I was getting a lot of texts. I was getting a lot of emails on, you know, please do this. Please don't do it. Please do it. It was really divided down the middle, and it was with Republicans. Mm -hmm. You know, this was within our own party. This wasn't like Democrats were against it and Republicans were for it, so we should all be for it. It was within our party, and it was really wrapped around the fact that we were not sure what could happen because we've never done this before. And, and you and I laughed about it last week, right? When mm-hmm. you love our attorneys, my daughter's in law school, but you know, when you get two of them in a room, you just don't know. <laughs> you just don't know what direction it can go. Yeah, uh, especially when something's never been done before. There's mm-hmm. no precedent, right? So. I think we should still continue to talk about it so both sides feel comfortable, civil, mm-hmm. civil conversation. We are on the same team. Yeah, uh, We're just seeing it differently. 
I wanted to talk to you about something else. Lieutenant Governor Pamela Evett on the phone with us. Um, th- there was this um, new option for the, the death sentence being the firing squad because lethal injection um, is really not an option anymore because uh, of the inability to purchase the drugs needed to do the execution. Uh, Governor Henry McMaster said yesterday that uh, the convicted killer Richard Moore um, should not expect any mercy from him in the form of a reprieve. Uh, it was said that the Supreme Court yesterday issued a temporary stay in Moore's case to consider issues raised by his lawyers, including whether the electric chair and the firing squad are constitutional. Um, but you know, I guess they were looking to Henry McMaster to just, I guess, take death penalty off the table completely and just move on. Uh, what do you have any information to share with us on that? So I can just give you personal opinion. You know, the governor, as I've always said, is a rule of law governor. Um, he believes in the in the system. He wishes judges would basically rule from the bench based on the rule of law, not personal opinion. He has come out and said that. Now. He believes in the system. The person was tried. He was given a fair trial uh, in front of a jury of his peers. This is what came about. This is what they felt was just. From a personal opinion, you know, I sit there and reflect on that. I've been reading all all the articles that have come out. I actually got a letter from a young girl out of Maryland whose uncle is an attorney in Charleston, and she was very against the death penalty. And I was doing a paper and asked me for my opinion and why we would still have such a thing here in South Carolina. And I wrote her back and, and just basically said I was very proud that at her age she was getting involved in these in these issues. Mm-hmm. But that in, in all of the all of the reasons she cited in her letter to me, she never once talked about the victim and the victim's family. And I think that's a key point in this. You know, the, the left and the people who are against the death penalty put a lot of pressure on pharmaceutical companies. They protested. They sent letters. They made pharmaceutical companies feel like they had to stop selling the drugs that were used for lethal injection. Mm-hmm. And now they're saying that the only means that are left are not um, kind enough. Well, is that a good way to put it? Like, they're, 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 they're barbaric. Well, you you took away what we would have considered probably the most, the easiest administering of this, right? Mm -hmm. So they did it to themselves, and now they stand there. I believe that, you know, the governor is right in his stance. I, I think we have to go with the system that's given us. If a jury convicted him and that was his sentence, this, this is the will of the people, right? These were a jury of his peers. So I'm hoping that the Supreme Court, um, follows the rule of law, just like the governor says, and and doesn't read into it or take their personal feelings into account. Well, I'm just uh, thinking about it. You know, we talked about before, you know, almost like opening Pandora's box when you start to question whether the electric chair or the firing squad is uh, constitutional. Um, is Are they going to be looking at the issue of the death penalty as being constitutional or those ways to execute someone as being unconstitutional? I mean, I don't know where, where the basis of their argument is. Um, but Yeah, 
I, I, I'm not sure either. It'll be interesting to see as, as this progresses. I think they only stayed it um, till the beginning of May. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what they do. Will they can they try to issue another stay or will they put out some kind of opinion on it before then? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is another person that's coming up for execution, um, Brad Keith Sigmund. And um, it says here that he has to choose on April 29th if he's going to go with the electric chair or the firing squad. And the person that we were talking about before, Richard Moore, did choose the firing squad, was the first to do so. So I guess we'll see what happens. Um, you I know. know. Yeah. Okay. It's not, it wouldn't be something I would want to choose. So that's why I say, I say the best thing to never find yourself in this situation is just <laughs> don't break the law. Yeah. Don't do a heinous crime, right? And you'll, you'll, we'll never have to talk about this again. Well, I think they should just use the drugs that um, the abortion clinics buy, because apparently that's no problem to sell. So just, exactly. you know, we think that's okay for our, our innocent, yeah. right? And, and, and that's, that's the difference. That's the one thing I hate. I'm, I'm kind of glad you brought that up because I hate when people that are against the death penalty say to us that are pro-life, how can you be pro-life mm-hmm. for a child? It's like, well, you just said it because I'm protecting an innocent life. Mm-hmm. The person that's being charged with a, a death penalty sentence took, took a life first, right? It has right. to be a heinous crime to get you mm-hmm. here. So it's not that we're... This is comparing apples and bananas, mm-hmm. protecting Absolutely. the innocent as opposed to protecting somebody who by free will did a heinous crime. Mm-hmm. It's crazy, right? It's upside it down and backwards. <laughs> I mean, I don't like uh, death penalty either, to, to be honest. Um, but, uh, you know, being a Catholic, it's it's not it's not my thing, obviously. But um, I, I would wouldn't fight either way for it. But for an unborn child, I fight every day. So it's, um, it's, uh, you know, listen, um, I feel like sometimes we get convictions wrong and things go awry and, uh, you know, there's a lot of human error, but there's no error in, you know, what crime did that baby do to deserve the death penalty for sure. Um, so, but anything else that you want to, uh, bring up? I, I know there, uh, may be some other things that our governor is working on that you want to share. Well, you know, lots of good things happening in the House today. They start, well, actually yesterday they started debating CRT. Uh, Once again, a lot of amendments went up by our friends on the other side of the aisle. I think somewhere over 300 amendments they worked through yesterday. Um, So they they will reconvene today. Uh, Republicans very determined to make sure that we get an anti-CRT bill handed down and and voted on this week. So we'll see a lot of movement with that in the House, something that everybody should watch. Okay. And the other thing I wanted to bring up uh, on the lighter side is that this weekend, oh no, not this weekend, the weekend of May 6th is going to be the Darlington Raceway's uh, official throwback weekend. And South Carolina Governor Henry McMaster was there for a press conference or at the mansion, by the way, for the press conference. Yes. Yes, we were there yesterday with um, Carrie Thorpe with Darlington Raceway. And for any of your listeners who have not been to Darlington Motor Speedway, it's a great thing to do. You can take mom. It's Mother's Day weekend. Uh, throwback weekend is always a lot of excitement at Darlington. You know, we call it the track that's too tough to tame. And Bobby Labani was with us yesterday at the governor's mansion talking about what a challenging track it is and how much. NASCAR Hall of Famers uh, look back at their time at Darlington Raceway 
and think about, you know, what a gem it is and how lucky we are to be here in South Carolina to have such a challenging track. That big tourism pull into our state generates a lot of money having NASCAR here, and NASCAR very thankful uh, for the governor and our administration. We were the first to open back NASCAR here in our state. The governor had to call over to uh, North Carolina, something a lot of people don't know, because all those cars, were locked up in garages in North Carolina. And North Carolina, with its Democrat governor, had everything mm. shut down. So the governor had to make a, a call over to North Carolina and say, hey, I need you to let them go in and get their cars and start working on them because they're coming here to <laughs> South Carolina to drive them. Wow. Uh, so they, they thank our state for opening back up and getting NASCAR uh, back on TV. Hmm. All right. Anything else uh, you wanted to add, Lieutenant Governor? No, I think that's it. You know, we're getting, we're winding down. So everybody watch these bills that are going through. Um, lots of lots of action happening down at the state house. So oh, I forgot to know. ask you about the one thing I wanted to ask you right off the top: <laughs> the border strike force. Um, Henry uh, McMaster, our governor, joined uh, twenty five other GOP governors to form that border strike force. Um, at you know to uh, handle what's going on at the border. Absolutely. You know, we've been saying it forever, and this this is not just a border crisis for states that line the border of our country. These are affecting all of us. You know, I I heard from a sheriff in Massachusetts. Massachusetts is getting a ton of illegals that are coming to Massachusetts because Massachusetts gives so much in benefit to um, people that live in the state, right? So they have it figured out. So Massachusetts is nowhere close to the southern border, but they are getting a ton of influx of uh, migrants that are crossing that border. And so every state is definitely affected by it. All the state governors, we are, we're tired. We, we are not getting any relief from the federal government. Now we see that Biden, they keep saying that they are going to pull Article 42 which is going to even take be less restrictions at the border. So, you know, we all have to band together. And so the governor, happy to sign on with his Republican colleagues to say, we will start taking action to figure out how we protect our states from this. And they will all be working together to say, okay, federal government, if you can't protect our citizens, we'll protect our citizens. Mm. All means given to us. So we don't know exactly what that is going to be, right? Because we don't have any more National Guard down on the southern border, do we? No, we do. Um, oh. there is, we, we still have Guard down there, mm-hmm. um, and we will continue to. They rotate, but we still have Guard at the southern border. We have for a long time. Uh, and, you know, we just have to see what we can do uh, within our states. But it's always good when we pull our heads and our resources together. It's like we talked about when the governor worked with his other Republican governors to um, combat mandates. Mm -hmm. You figure out how you can do it in the court systems that are available to you, right? This is good things that happen out of the AG's office also is making sure that you coordinate and figure out the best route to get things done and and get, you know, kind of roadblocks put in place, right? Mm -hmm. You strategically work together, and that's what this will do. Okay. Well, we definitely have to stop the flow of fentanyl. Because it is ravaging uh, Horry County. Uh, we have overdose deaths up, as you know. Um, and so it's infecting the uh, labor force. It's, um, it's destroying families. It's, it's really 
awful. More drug and alcohol deaths, people under 65 than COVID. That is, it's oh. absolutely insane what's happening. Well, it's absolutely insane. You know, you hear from Chief Keel who talks about just the amount of fentanyl that we have seized here in South mm-hmm. Carolina, record numbers. And so when we talk about an epidemic, you're exactly right. The epidemic is the fentanyl coming across the borders and, and killing our youth. How yeah. many young kids? Mm-hmm. Um, just taking a one pill for him dead in their bed. Yeah, yep. just uh, just taking, you know, the friend says, hey, take this Adderall. It's not Adderall at all. It's, uh, you know, it's killing people on the first uh, first time. It's it's re- it's unbelievable what's happening. And uh, the drug problem is just rampant and it's going to be a stranglehold. Uh, and I would hate for us to go like where the direction that West Virginia headed, um, where drugs replace, you know, jobs <laughs> you know people rather i don't even know how they afford the drugs i don't even know i don't even know how they support their drug habits uh, they're not working yep it's unproductive people are unproductive um and, and, and nobody's I know, talking about it yeah. except us and fox news fox news will talk about the fentanyl crisis but yes. you go on msnbc you go on to cnn you go on to just your mainstream media, and nobody is talking about it. And we're supposed to be having some sort of task force. Um, I don't know what level of government or agency uh, that is going to study why our labor force is not um, growing. You know, the jobs are there, but the but the people getting the jobs, I mean, I don't know why they're not going to work. Well, you know, we're right before I left for Israel, there was a big article that came out in the Wall Street Journal that said 76% of employees that exited the labor force during, like after COVID Mm -hmm. are feeling remorse about that and looking to come back. So I think you, you know, we're getting about the time where their COBRA is running out and they're finding that it's really expensive Mm -hmm. to go out and buy insurance on your own and the Mm -hmm. coverage isn't as good. I think they're starting to feel the effects of having to buy other types of insurance coverage that you just don't, always think about, you know, that your employer buys to protect you from things. Mm. So they're starting to see all these costs pile up and go, maybe I liked working for somebody (laughs) else. You know, I mean, it's great to work for yourself. I I started out working for somebody, started my own business. That's my story and journey. But it definitely isn't for everybody. And I can tell you, when you, sometimes it looks, you know, the grass looks greener on the other side. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then you get over to the other side and you realize it's not as green. I think that's what we're seeing. Yeah. Uh, but we, we do need to get, we need to get in and build up our workforce again. And for here in South Carolina, we're growing. We have a, we have a hundred thousand more jobs hmm. today than we did pre COVID. Wow. So let's get our kids working. Yeah. Right. Liz? Yeah. That's what, that's what I'm pushing. I have uh, you, no kids working at the, or they work one weekend and they're like, oh, I can't handle it with school. I'm like, okay, whatever. Well, I, <laughs> well, like, that, that's, we're raising snowflakes. Am, it's not good. Well, I am, I am working with, um, do our department of workforce. And I think you guys might hear me on the radio when I'm down in Horry County, uh, people talk about it. So they're playing it a lot down there is it's my voice over encouraging parents to get your kids working really? it's what we need to oh yeah it's what we need to do i mean having the ability to work gives your children a sense of confidence they can't get anywhere mm-hmm. and it's easy and it costs you nothing and it helps them learn about fiscal responsibility right because you actually have to give up something to get a dollar and it makes you it puts you gives you a different perspective on what a dollar is worth yeah and so you know i am um 
that has been that's my initiative. We're going to take that to video. We're going to be coming to every part of the state. And my message, not just as lieutenant governor, but as a mom, is we got to get our kids working. If we don't get our kids working, we're, we're we're not doing them a service. We're not giving them the soft skills that they need. Uh, we're not giving them the confidence they need. Kids need confidence, and you get confidence by learning to be self-sufficient, by mm-hmm. getting a job, by feeling like you have worth because you get a paycheck every week. I think it's good for our kids. It's good for their self-esteem. And so as a mom, it's something I'm championing with our Department of Workforce. And it's good for small business because we can't grow unless we have workers, you know, a growing workforce. I mean, how do you expect uh, businesses to stay alive if they don't have people working? So yep. it's a problem. Um, all right. Well, thank you, Lieutenant Governor Pamela Evett, for definitely for bringing attention to that and working for uh, small businesses for that as well. Uh, we will talk to you next week. All right, guys. You guys have a safe and happy weekend. All right. You too. The Liz Calloway Show with Nick Summers. Back in a bit on Talk 94.5.